here to tonight's 5 by 15 and I'm incredibly thrilled to be here with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall to talk about his fantastic new book Eat Better Forever. Um, I know quite a lot about food and I've read an unbelievable number of books about food and I can honestly say this is about the best one I've ever read. There's a real feeling of someone, an author, who knows this subject incredibly well and has worked out exactly what we need to know to eat better and I hope eat better forever. So a big, big welcome from all of us at 5 by 15 to Hugh. And um, I'd quite like to start though, Hugh, before we start talking about food. I have just seen your Instagram for today and you have got 4,600 and climbing numbers of people who have watched you literally break the ice on your morning cold swim. Is this true? Uh, yeah, well, I did. I did have a swim this morning, and I did have to break the ice. And I think that people that it, it's a quite a sadistic view. There's a, people enjoy seeing. I mean, not that I'm suffering because I do do it for a curious kind of pleasure. I mean, I do enjoy this, and I've been doing it for quite a long time. And I've I've got this winter. I've got colder and colder. I've been doing it every day, uh, and in the pond most days and if I don't do the pond I have a cold shower or a cold bath and the water out of the cold tap at the moment is only about four degrees as well so <laughs> it's pretty bracing but this morning was sort of a personal best in the sense that that's the thickest ice I've ever had to break to get into the pond wow. and no question of a swim it was it was just a, a dip a smash and splash I think they call it yeah that's a good expression so do you feel really well because of it I do. I mean, the, the, the thing about it is, is once you've, for me anyway, having been doing it for this long, I'm very committed and I can't not do it. And I don't really, I mean, I, I don't drink coffee in the morning. I have a nice cup of tea and a cold swim. And if I don't have either of those things, I don't feel right. And the day's <laughs> not ready to start. Um, okay. But today was particularly bracing. I've still got my um, merino wool thermal leggings on at the moment. Okay. Obviously, being Zoom, you don't really know if that um, that might be all I've got on, but, I, but actually, I can well, assure you, it's not. But uh, well, I, no, no, I can see that you've got a cardigan on and a, and a shirt. Well, I, no, uh, I mean, you know, under the table. <laughs> but no, I've got I've got that, those well, and my and my jeans on. But I am now toasty warm. Good, good, toasty warm and ready to talk about oh, your wonderful book. Ready to go. Um, yep. What I need to say also before we get cracking on the subject of food is that we're going to allow lots of time for your questions. So please stick them in the Q&A and we'll come to as many of them as we can. Um, but we'll talk for maybe 35, 40 minutes and then hand it over to everyone there. So please start putting your questions in when you think of them. So we have to really start with the nightmare of COVID and what we now know about the nation's diet and the likelihood of getting sick and indeed of dying. What, what does it tell us? Well, it's, it's been the most in incredible time, uh, scary time, unusual time. I, th I think for, for some of us, I, I, myself included, there have been upsides li living in the country here. It's been an extraordinary opportunity to explore and do new things. Um, but I think for everyone, whether whether COVID has been a non-stop horror show or whether you've been able to find solace or, or points of interest, I think everyone feels it's shifted us. Something's changed and something more can change. There are lots of opportunities to do things differently afterwards. And I think food potentially can be right at the centre of of how we do things differently. We talk a lot about build back better, mm -hmm. but I, I think it's an amazing opportunity to eat much better. And the things that have changed, there's some really obvious things, like it seems that half the nation uh, now makes sourdough bread and the other half makes banana bread, and you kind of have to decide which camp you're in. I suspect actually that uh, about 90% of the, 98% of the nation probably does neither, but there's been an awful lot of chatter about both. 
Um, but but I think people have people are cooking more. A lot of people are cooking more. People are teaching themselves to cook during lockdown and taking on new ideas. Um, and but the, one of perhaps the, one of the most important things for me is the the politics of food seems to have shifted a bit. And not just, I mean, I don't mean people's personal politics of food, that's also shifting, but actually governmental politics around food, healthy eating, the obesity problem have shifted. And they shifted because our prime minister, in large part because our prime minister got COVID and was big enough, but no pun, well, pun intended if yeah. you like, was big enough to admit that his, his size, his weight was a factor in the severity of his symptoms and said afterwards that, you know, we, we, he, he wants to do something and his government wants to do something for the nation's health and more importantly for the nation's diet. Because up till this point, Boris has tended to say, we all need to, you know, we need to get on our bikes and run around the park. And, and, and there's been an ideological issue for Boris, but for, for the government, this party generally, in intervening in our lives and, and, and helping us change the way we, we behave around food and, and indeed helping us towards better food decisions. It's like, we, well, we don't tell people what to eat. We don't, we're not the nanny state. And there has been a lot of reluctance. Now, that's completely gone out the window, not, not just because of the prime minister's personal experience, but also because, um, you know, it, it, it no longer makes sense to say we're a government that, that doesn't make doesn't like to interfere with people's health. Because mm. what are we in the middle of other than the, the biggest health intervention, not just nationally, but globally? And the, every single day, the government's telling us to do things yeah. differently and behave in a different way for the sake of our health. So the cat's kind of out of the bag and the opportunity is there. And the government has made a commitment to actually made the commitment to, to reduce childhood uh, uh, obesity by 50% by 2030 a while ago, but it started committing to pulling some of the levers that might help get that job done, like, uh, you know, uh, sweets, at the, sweets and confectionery and unhealthy foods at the checkouts in, in, in supermarkets. And uh, perhaps most importantly of all, the relentless advertising of junk food to our kids through through TV shows and now more and more online. The government has pledged to take action on that. There are lots of levers they could pull. And to be honest, if they're gonna get anywhere near that ambition of, of 50% by 2030, they kind of have to gonna pull them all. Mm. And we're all gonna to have to, we're all gonna to have to, uh, you know, ch change our own behavior a little bit. But, but I think we've, at last we're getting away from this idea that it's all about personal responsibility. And it's just, you know, it's, it's up to you. I mean, ultimately, yeah, we, we decide on any, at any given moment what, what we buy, what we eat, what goes in our mouths, and we have the option to decide that we don't eat something. But that isn't really a free choice, not, not when we are bombarded by billions of pounds worth of, of advertising telling us relentlessly to make choices that, that aren't good for us and, and, and make us ill. But it's shifting. So we have a government who's who's at least up for the conversation, who say they're ready to take action. And so against so that might start to make it easier for particularly for those of us who've traditionally found it very, very hard to make different decisions, make different choices and and, and make better choices around food. Yeah, I think that that's that's really interesting. I mean, the, the, I, I read somewhere the other day that the average person um, or, or something like 40% of people have put on six pounds over the pandemic. And, you know, there has been a big issue of comfort eating. And I, I mean, I really like to hear your positivity about the fact that the government will do something. I, I have to say, I still, I still worry that they're, they're going to say, yes, we're really going to take those tough decisions about what people eat because for well, one reason they've taken a lot of tough decisions and they're a bit frightened of taking any more. Yes, you could argue that, but you could also argue that, you know, the door's now open for those kind of tough decisions, that, that, that you know, the, the precedent, that the sort of pussyfooting around and not, not intervening in, in our lives uh, and, and our health is over. So the stage is set to continue to make decisions. And I suppose, you know, if...
we if if with if the vaccine is done, then they'll have a little bit of space to look at other issues. But yeah, but, so yeah I mean, it, it, one one you know one would want to uh, hedge one's bets. You wouldn't put everything. You wouldn't get put all your chips on the government getting this right in one fell swoop because they've they've spent a lot of time not quite getting it right or so, not being anywhere near getting it right. Right. No, I, I mean, I, we both read yesterday or in the last few days, you know, that now the WHO, World Health Organization, acknowledges that bad diet is now responsible for more deaths than tobacco. So it, I agree with you. It does seem like, you know, the world now has a very good reason to act. So you've written a book that gives us seven ways and I, I know we don't have time to go through every one of the seven. I would love to spend lots of time on them. So can you give us a kind of overview of what your proposal is about how someone eats, someone like me or, or any of our many? I mean, we have 800 people signed up tonight. So I know it's a subject that oh. people really care about, about what the food is and, you know, the, the whole issues around. And we'll come on and talk about the food environment, I hope, before we get to the end, because... I think that's so important, but you know, you you look at food across the board, and so what are your seven seven well, well, things? To, to, the first thing is that I mean, I yes, there are seven. You know, I, I think there probably could have been six or eight or nine, but but the but the point is there isn't just one way, and it doesn't make sense to me to frame the idea of healthy eating or or or, or dieting as one simple idea or one big idea, um, because uh, healthy eating is a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. But also, actually, um, the slightly more complicated approach with acknowledging that there are a number of different things that are worth thinking about uh, and a few different levers you could pull personally and habits you could change might not turn out to be harder than the one big idea, because the, the, the one big idea makes everything very binary. And so I'm talking things like, you know, paleo or, or, or low carb mm -hmm. uh, or, or focusing entirely on gut health or the five two doing some fasting. Um, there's these, well, I just mentioned, you know, some of the most popular diets of the last decade or so. And one of the reasons they're popular is because they have a grain of truth and value to them. Mm -hmm. But to me, they, they don't serve you very well on their own because success or failure, it becomes very binary. Uh, and, and if you fall off that particular wagon, well, you really, you fall hard. Um, where, so I've got seven thoughts, seven ideas, if you like seven mini New Year's resolutions rather than one big one and they all support each other and you don't have to succeed at all of them all of the time um, I will rattle through them very quickly the first sort of all-encompassing one is go whole eat more whole foods get the bulk of your nutrition from foods that are real and whole you can cook them fine you can mix them up you can make all sorts of lovely dishes but try and get to them before they've passed through a factory and had a lot of the good bits removed and had some completely unnecessary things added, which your body might not understand exactly what they are. So get back to the stuff that's that's real and whole. The second one is varied, and that's really also incredibly important. If you eat a very wide variety of foods that are mainly whole and lots and lots of them are plants, you're, you're already off to an absolutely flying start. Uh, the third chapter is called Go With Your Gut. So we've got the three goes, the positives. Now, the first two are really looking after your gut already. But if you want to add in some fermented foods and probiotic foods that are already rich in friendly bacteria, some kefirs and kombuchas and yogurts and stuff like that, well, that's, that's good. So those are three positives. And then we come to the, those knotty, knotty issues. So the chapter four is uh, is reduce refined carbs. Not necessarily, you can reduce all carbs a little bit if you want, but it's those refined carbs where the good bits have already been taken out. So we're talking about sugars, sugar syrups, flours, basically the, 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 the malleable starches and sugars and refined fats that have been spun into endless, uh, highly, highly uh, desirable actually combinations by a very, very clever food industry that make them almost impossible to put down. Um, but if we can get past them, then uh, and onto fat, which has been demonized uh, down the years, but is actually essential uh, and carries flavor wonderfully and has got loads and loads of good things in. The only downside of fat, and, and actually I shouldn't even say it's a downside, the only, the, the, a factor of fat that you have to factor in, and that chapter is called 
factor in fat. It's very, very calorie dense. You know, mm -hmm. it's twice as calorie dense as sugar. So, um, it, but that doesn't mean, it, but unlike sugar, it's got loads of good things in it. Whereas sugar has got almost nothing other than calories that will do you any good at all. Uh, so then that's the foodie stuff. And we've got a chapter about drinking because actually a lot of the things that we are doing, that we're putting in our body that are bad for us come in liquid form and we call them drinks. But actually, if they're not water or a herbal tea or mother's milk, which we gave up quite a long time ago, then, well, even mother's milk is more than a drink, but everything else that isn't water or, 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 or you know, they're foods. So soft drinks are foods, those frothy coffees with cream and all sorts of things in them are foods. Alcohols are food. You know, there's lots of stuff in them other than just hydration. And, and yet our body doesn't always know that they're foods and doesn't always respond to them. Uh, doesn't tell us when we have taken on a lot of calories from drink a lot of the time. Uh, and then the final chapter number seven is called eat and sometimes don't eat mindfully. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is the wrapper for everything. Just engage whenever you're dealing with food, ideally when you're chopping and cooking too, but certainly when you're eating, be present with the food that will help you relish it. Uh, that will help you get uh, more pleasure from the right kinds of foods because you can taste their rightness. You can taste the good that they're doing. You can tune your mind to really engage with and appreciate the good that certain foods are doing. You can tell your, yourself, what, you know, if you are necking a kombucha rather than a, 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 a triple vodka and tonic, you can tell yourself while enjoying that nice tart, uh, uh, slightly sparkling flavor, that you're sending a load of healthy bacteria down to your gut. Now, you're not, you don't always have to take mindfulness that literally, but you can be there and present with your food. And you can, and so you can cast that idea back over the first six chapters. That's so interesting. Yes, I mean, that's amazing that you can put it into that, um, that concise sense. And I think one of the really lovely things is that feeling that it's about doing all of these things. And it's not just about, as you say, putting all your literal eggs in one basket. Um, you, when you talk about the gut, when I was reading the book, it, it's almost as though you're talking about a, a whole other, almost another person a sort of Hugh's gut or my gut, and that it's a, it's very much a living presence that needs taking care of. And it's such a, I mean, I know it's obviously been there forever, but actually as an idea that we're all getting our heads around, it is actually very new that we understand it in this way, understand it as an organ that needs support and help and love and attention. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I sort of think of my gut now as a cross between not necessarily another person, but maybe a, I've only just thought of this, but it's kind of like a cross between a brain and a beehive or a colony of ants. You know, it, it, it's, an it's an organ or an organism almost made up of lots of other different things that are that are busy and doing important work for the greater good. Mm. Um, they're, they're not individually necessarily interested in your welfare on a daily basis but they do actually they this 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 is at the this is at the leading edge of gut health research so i, I what i'm about to say is, is is not sort of stone cold proven but it's an idea that's positive positive that i find very intriguing the idea that that, that your gut can influence your behavior quite a lot and that if you look after your gut it can incline you it can it can it, it can lead you towards continuing to make the right sort of behaviors to look after it some more. Mm -hmm. and, we, and obviously correlate, correlation is not causality, but there are some very striking correlations between, uh, between gut, guts and gut biodiversity and, and mental health and mood. And, and if that starts to sound a little bit far-fetched, then it's just probably worth stopping for a moment to, to note that actually all the important um, chemicals in the body, not absolutely all of them, a lot of them, including neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine, are actually synthesized in your gut. You know, the, the, the crucial uh, work of creating those uh, messaging chemicals that perform such vital uh, mood controlling roles uh, and help us deal with pain and stress and all sorts of things like that, um, they, they, they're made 
by your gut. And they're obviously, if your gut's performing well, then they, everything's going to be working better and you're going to get, you know, you, you, you've got, you're, you're running on, 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 on good stuff. You're, you're, it's, it's been well made by an organ in top form. Then that doesn't seem to me a stretch at all to imagine that that's going to help your mood, help your mental health uh, and, and, and benefit you in, in lots of subtle ways. That's so interesting and, and something that I mean, you talk about a great deal all through the book is the, the necessity of eating variety. And, and I have to say, sort of when I read it, I thought, God, our diets have been so narrow. You know, we've just yeah. eaten, you know, you make that point about what 60% of the world's calories come from rice and wheat and maize. Yeah, which well, is sort of shocking. Yeah. 60% of our plant calories. Uh, our plant so, calories, okay. Even but so. Even so. Three plants. And, and, and also um, the, the list of common foods basically um, peters out at about 200, you know, and, and yet there are, uh, you know, 12,000 or more known edible plants uh, on the planet. Um, and even that 200, I mean, how many of us are even getting close to that? Um, but the, the, the diversity bit is hugely important because um, it, it's just your, it's just your, it's just your your insurance policy. It's your it's spreading your bets. These foods have all got lots of good things in, and the other thing the other thing that's really important about diversity is that um, the, the food food synergy. You know, it's foods eaten together either deliberately or by accident often bring things out or, or, or aid the absorption of, of certain crucial nutrients. So like like what? Well, so we're really a, a, a couple of obvious uh, a couple of examples using stuff we, we've heard of. So vitamin C in fruit and vegetables aids the absorption of iron in mm -hmm. leafy greens and um, pulses. Or slightly more obscure one is that uh, a, an antioxidant called lycopene, which is uh, in tomatoes and has a, a very kind of useful micronutrient in lots of ways, uh, is absorbed much better if you eat those tomatoes with oil or avocados or, or fats generally. Uh, you probably help. You could probably spread butter on your tomato, and you'd get you'd get more lycopene. <laughs> um, but uh, so food synergy is 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 something that you get. Uh, you know, both, but sometimes by design. If you choose to, if you know a bit about it, and you choose to do those things, you can have fun thinking. I'm optimizing my uptake of this, that, or the other. Do you today. do you think like that now? No, I don't. To be honest, I mean, you know, I I I I found. I found some of this out while I was writing the book and some of it has stuck and some of it hasn't. But what's really stuck is I'm absolutely determined to eat lots and lots of, of different things. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean saying sod seasonality and let's do, There are, you know, one thing we do know is there are an insane amount of choices in the supermarket. I think it's still good to have a rationale and I, you know, an idea to take you through uh your choices uh and for me that's local and seasonal and that will still uh you know that will if you if you're e eating the fruits that are in season the fruits and vegetables the fruits that have been stored through the winter and the vegetables that are in season uh plus pulses and whole grains and you know some dried fruits and you know you're going to be doing really really well we just have to get out of the the, the rut of um you know, it, it, it's lasagna on Tuesday and something else, you know, we, we, and we've got to just mix it up as much as possible. And the other, for me, one of the great opportunities to mix it up uh, is, is frankly breakfast, because if at the moment your breakfast is a, a piece of toast and maybe a bowl of cereal, well, then you've got so many exciting and diverse foods that you could bring into play, a, a whole raft of fruits. I mean, I eat fruit every day every single day it's usually the first thing i eat every morning is a piece of fruit and if it isn't a fresh crunchy apple uh, it might be a couple of dried apricots which are actually i'm quite likely to have soaked overnight in kombucha because they go all plump and juicy and tangy and delicious uh, and then i might have a blob of yogurt on that and i'm practically eating a dessert you know it's very very delicious breakfast to start the day but um we've got to i mean it's just very very useful just to open up our minds a little bit, um, uh, lengthen our shopping lists, remind ourselves that there are actually a bunch of foods out there that we really quite like, but that we probably mm -hmm. haven't had for weeks, if not months, 
and and get back to them get you know get on their case and get them in the kitchen i mean you yourself have got a lot fitter haven't you i mean you you actually put a picture in the book of you some years ago looking a little bit stouter is that fair sorry i don't want to but you uh, have put the picture in and i've put a picture in the book I, I i've lost some weight i mean i i've um what i've actually done is settled at a at a at a pretty you know, to wait, I'm pretty relaxed about having actually been up and down between about sort of 75 and 85, 86 kilos in my sort of 30, most of my 30s and 40s. Uh, you know, I went through a, a fat dad phase and then I did sort of crunch it down a bit and then it came. And, and that's because I, I was, um, my, that was, I think that the way I was, I love, I've loved food, very, very interested in food. And I was, and my sort of food antennae were either on or off. So I was either essentially eating for pleasure and comfort and maybe to deal with, to offset a little bit of stress, or I was sort of really on the case and being quite kind of abstemious and, and prohibitive and had a sort of reasonably lengthy sort of list of, of forbidden foods that I was at least for a while quite successful <laughs> in avoiding. Now that's changed and I've just kind of mellowed out into this I, I, I think it's been been like this for a good few years now. Pretty stable, um, moving a little bit with the seasons. Um, probably actually eating slightly richer food in the winter, and and actually maybe putting on a kilo or or, or two in the winter. Uh, but my weight goes now between about seventy four and seventy six kilos, uh, and. Uh, and and I'm pretty you know I'm pretty relaxed about that and and that's done I, 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 that's done without counting calories. Mm -hmm. I do one thing I do mention in the mindfulness chapter, which we touched on briefly. I do do a little bit of fasting, um, but I do it in a very kind of sporadic way. So I don't I don't usually plan it. I, I mean I wake up in one day and think today actually might be a good idea not to eat. Um, might be a good day not to eat anything till two. Why? Because I haven't got to run off and do this or. Uh, you know, go and do some filming or uh, do something stressful. I'm at my desk, I'm writing or whatever. So I can, I'm going to just, so it's, it's just kind of slotted in, in a fairly easy going way. Now it's very useful fasting and it does lots of good things. It's, it, 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 I mean, of course it gives you an extended period of time where you're not consuming calories, but in terms of your gut and your general metabolism, it, it a bit of time off, allows certain things to go into rest and repair mode uh and and you know we and, and that and it get get us back to uh to being with hunger which is a state that we've become unnecessarily frightened of now i don't mean to belittle or or in it's really important i'm not talking about people who have no choice but to be hungry and are hungry because of their financial circumstances and and and, and their difficult uh place in in the world um but for those of us for whom, frankly, laying our hands on, on, on food uh, isn't a problem, and it's frankly probably too easy a lot of the time, learning to sit with your hunger for a while is really, really constructive. And you can, and, and, and it, it stops being frightening after a while, not least because you, you, know, you mm -hmm. know it's only a short walk to the larder. Um, <laughs> but you, you do know that all sorts of good things are happening. And you go back to, uh, you know, as, you know, as Palio invites us to do, you know, and it's not, it's not necessarily a, uh, a gimmicky thing to, to think about how things were uh, when we were uh, when we were evolving and our guts and eating uh, patterns were evolving over a, a very very long period of time rather than the very short time we've had since the agricultural revolution. Um, hunger was was not necessarily hunger was the was a message to to go and to go and find food not to eat immediately. To, it was very motivating. So you, people were often hunting when they were very hungry and it focused their mind and it made them move quickly. And they did, you know, they hunted well and, and, and similarly, even gathering, it was just a, it became a very uh, uh, focused, heightened exercise and might be a bit of a stretch, but actually I think I work quite well when I'm hungry. I get quite a lot yeah. done. I, I get quite a lot of writing. Uh, I can write well when I'm hungry. And then there may be, there comes a point where it's like, okay, now I'm going to go and get something to eat. But spending a few hours with a bit of, frankly, uh, by probably ancient standards, pretty moderate hunger is, is very informative and, and actually sort of quite consoling and makes you think, well, actually, th this is okay.
Yeah, I think that's really interesting because the food industry has absolutely gone out of its way to eliminate hunger from our daily life. I mean, I mean, you can buy a snack for the car, you can buy sweets, you can buy, I mean, you can eat 24 seven so easily. I mean, I was very struck by you saying, you know, this, this thing of the combination of sugars and fats, that this did not exist in our kind of prehistory. But, and, and you also say that very good example, no one would sit and eat a whole pat of butter, nor would you eat a bag of sugar. But when you're making a cake and you put those two things together, suddenly you've made something that just tastes sensational. And the food industry obviously figured this out quite a while ago. That's right. I mean, so you're, you're, you're right. It's a double whammy from the food industry because not, not only have they made food constantly available, triple whammy if you like, a, a, one, it's constantly available, two, we're constantly being reminded that it's yeah. constantly available but by advertising and marketing and and not just that, but, you know, bells and whistles and signs and lights. And, you know, if you walk through a mall, the foodie bit, I mean, that, boy, are those different mm -hmm. outlets competing for your for your sensory attention uh, uh, in a way that's incredibly uh, demanding. Uh, but then when you get to taste the food itself, they've done some unbelievably clever things that they're very, very good at. And and, you know, I would be lying if I if I said to you, that in, uh, I've transcended the pleasure of, you know, I've got past a place where I would ever find any pleasure in a toffee crisp. That's just not true. If I had a toffee crisp right now, I'd really enjoy it. You know, there's loads of, you know, or, or, I did get, I did, you know, I did the other day, I ate something called a double decker out of curiosity. I hadn't eaten one for so long. And I thought, my memory of that is that the, is that the chewy bit basically tastes like sugary plastic. I suppose they'd call it nougat. It's not even caramel or it's just, it's got this weird texture. And, and uh, I, I had one to remind myself and I thought, you know what, double decker, I really don't need in my life. Toffee crisp, yeah, need. that's a classier piece of confectionery. Um, and I do still once in a while have a toffee crisp and I don't, um, I mean, I suppose I could tell myself there's a little bit of rice in there. Uh, it's probably not brown rice, but, you know, I, 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 I don't really uh, indulge that thought. I said, this is a, quite a nice thing. I, I, I'm really very aware now of that bliss point, they call it, that combination of sugar and fat. And, and often there's a little bit of crunch in there because um, the sound of us enjoying our own food creates a feedback loop of pleasure. And, you know, there's all sorts of smells. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's all sorts of, um, you know, synapses firing that, that the, that, and they've been tested to the hilt. It's not just confectionery. You know, you go into to some, uh, you know, Tex-Mex takeaway or burger joint or whatever, and the order in which they've put the, 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 the you know, the meat and the creamy guacamole and then the nachos, the crunchy bit, and then more of the gooey cheese on top. It's all been worked out. It's all been tested to... To, you know, to the to the point of, um, of, of of basically near certainty, and of course, of course, you're you're casting your net to different people. Not everyone's the same, and not everyone will get turned on exactly in the same way by the same foods, and therefore you get this sense of sort of diversity. My goodness, aren't there a lot of extraordinary choices in this shopping mall? Mm. Like Chinese, I could have, you know, I, I could have a burger. I could I could have a pancake. I could buy some sweets over here many, many different looking sounding foods um, for, which have derived from many, many different food cultures, but they have some extraordinary things in common. They are very, very often layering fats and starches, not always fat and sugar, but sometimes it's fat and salt and crispiness and crispy starch, as in the nachos and cheese. And look, we do it ourselves at home. When we put the butter on the bread and the jam on the butter, we are just doing our own version. We're making our own homemade version of the bliss point. But it's, the, it's just worth knowing, the, back to the mindfulness, that when you're doing this, it's worth knowing what you're doing. And you are creating a food and, that doesn't really exist in nature. And one of the reasons it's so irresistible is, is it combines two things that you are hardwired to seek out. Because principally because of that, when calories were, were, were scarce, the calorific loads from very, very sweet ripe fruits and, and and um, very, very, you know, the fatty bits of animals and fish mm -hmm. and 
and and also some fatty nuts and things like that those were those were the jackpots you know so if you if you mix the jackpots that never normally got mixed because you ate you know one on the seashore and one up a tree or whatever if you mix the jackpots together and put put them in a wrapper then that's essentially what confectionery is and it's what cake is and biscuits are and stuff like that which is not to say we need to get them out of our lives um but let's see them for what they are and what i would love to suggest is that we find um wholer versions that are better for us to get some of the same pleasure in in, in a slightly less out of control way and so can you, and I mean, can you, sorry well as you say you know we, we 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 love to bake in this house my 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 daughter um loves baking cakes and she was a bit skeptical when i said please can you make your victoria sponge with uh, wholemeal cake flour, not wholemeal bread flour, but light wholemeal cake flour, and take 20% of the sugar out, and maybe add some ground almonds to counteract that. Um, uh, and 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 she and that's that's our go-to cake, and everybody loves it. And you know, to be honest, and we've done this at River Cottage with our with our menus. You know, you could take 20% of the sugar out of almost any cake, biscuit, or dessert, and no one will even notice. Ah, they, might, they might notice in a blind tasting, compare this one with this one. But if they if they get what they're given, there's more than enough sugar in, 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 in a reduced sugar version of a lovely dish, like a fool or a crumble or, or whatever it might be, more than enough sugar to keep people very happy. Now, here's the thing we can all do is we can train our taste buds to get more pleasure from less sugar. And the most clearly obvious way to do that, that we, some of us, many of us have, will have done this in our lives, is taking the sugar out of our tea and coffee. Well, that worked, didn't it? It actually took me several attempts. Uh, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, I got down to my last half teaspoon of sugar. I thought, I'm never going to be able to give that up. And I had several attempts, and it, and it just, I'll do five or six days. And somebody just once said, it takes two weeks. And I didn't know where this extraordinary piece of wisdom came from, but I thought, all right, I bet it doesn't, but I'll give it two weeks. And funnily enough, after two weeks, you know, sugar, sugar any, any desire to have sugar in my tea, gone. And if anyone who's done that will know, if you, if you accidentally pick up the tea that's got the sugar in it, you, you don't go, oh my God, the joy of tea with sugar again. I've been missing it for, must be four years. Since. You practically spit it out. It's not what you want. You've, if you have milk in your tea, you've learned to taste the natural sugar, the lactose in the milk is already enough sweetness in that tea to give you lots of pleasure. Now, you can take that knowledge and use it in your cooking in lots and lots of different ways to create sweetness with the use of fruit. I, I'll put a lot of fruit in my savory salads, little bombs of dried fruit in cakes that are actually very, very low in sugar, cakes or biscuits. So instead of having a kind of sweet sweep you've got little bombs of raisins going off lots and lots of ways you can adjust your cooking and your eating to get more pleasure from things that are good for it that are sweet but naturally sweet and good for us so we have got lots and lots of questions i have got lots more but i'm going to start bringing in some of the questions so kate has asked um are you uh, what's your view on meat in, in terms of how much we should eat and what kind we should eat that's a really, really good question. Um, I'm still an omnivore. I'm, I'm, I'm still eating meat. In fact, I'm, the reason I'm smiling is because my supper after this is, is actually um, the tail, heart and tongue of one of my own cows, uh, which has been made into a very sumptuous whiny stew. I actually took it, took, took it out of the freezer last night. And my son, I think, is, is possibly putting a pastry lid on, but he will be using wholemeal flour in his pastry. Although the last thing I heard, he was thinking of making uh, pomme dauphinoise. I just hope he's not doing the pastry and the pomme dauphinoise. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm, still, I'm still a carnivore, but I did partly for a TV show, well, more, more or less entirely for a, for a series of River Cottage. Um, we did River Cottage veg every day. I became a temporary vegetarian uh, for uh, about four months, four and a half months a few years ago uh for the for the show uh, uh but but also the the idea was to try and recalibrate and uh, my my 
sort of veg cooking and teach myself that actually you vegetables really can be delicious. So the short, uh, I mean, uh, yes, we've got to eat more plants, much more plants, whether, whether, I mean, I'm very privileged to be able to raise my own meat, just a little bit of it here on, here on our farm. Um, that, that I'm beginning to think that may be a privilege that's sort of almost untenable because, uh, because it doesn't really set a great example and it's not something most people can do. Um, but it is where I'm at and I do still enjoy meat, but I don't eat meat more than two, maybe three times a week. I, I've got past the half, more than half my days are meat free. Uh, not and that that's not a cac, that's not in the diary that's not calculated or ticked off that's just kind of how it is and if I think a lot of us could get to that point we'd be a bit closer to knowing whether whether we whether some kind of moderate consumption of meat might be uh, you know might might be workable but actually for the direction of travel it, it probably isn't you know we're going to have to get so radical about climate change and how yeah. we use the earth resources that that. Um, this conversation uh, might be very different in 10, 15 years time. So well, I hope, yeah, but for I the hope moment, it is. Mo moderate amounts of, 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 of home reared meat are still much enjoyed. Okay, so we've got a question and you and I were discussing this earlier and, uh, and it's come up from a number of people, but Francis Rubin asks about, you know, this is a, like you're saying, are we preaching to the converted? Um, what do you do if you're on an incredible budget? What do you do through COVID when you've been stuck with the food bank? Um, how do you have this, especially this this feeling about variety? Yeah, look, I'm uh, I'm painfully aware that there are an awful lot of kitchens, houses where my book is just not going to land. Um, and if people know who I am at all, they probably think I'm pretty irritating, to be honest. Uh, and, and, and that's how it is. And there's not a lot I can do about that except try and be a bit less irritating. I mean, I did, I was lucky enough to be able to make a, a, a program that got beyond the sort of chopping and cooking side. And we, uh, you know, looked at the, the bigger picture problem of obesity in the UK when we did uh, Britain's fat fight. But I, uh, and I met lots of people who really are very challenged by their food budgets and were able to make changes and do things differently. But that's, that doesn't mean it, it, it's easy. Now, it would be completely naive to pretend that books like mine or shows like mine can make everything all right and solve problems for, for, for everyone. But we've still got to believe that those problems are yeah. solvable. So if we're not going to do it, someone else is going to have to do it. And frankly, I believe it's the job of government, going right back to what we were saying at the beginning. One of the reasons people are finding it so hard to eat healthily on Poor, uh, on, on low budget is because the foods that are easiest, because if they have no cooking skills at all, the foods that are easiest to get calories inside their kids are not healthy. They are calorie laden uh, uh, rearrangements of, of fats, sugars, salts and starches uh, in, 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 in forms that, that are inexpensive and easy to heat up in a microwave or take away from uh, uh, the takeaway on the corner. Now we've got to change that culture and we can, um, every time we have this conversation or, you know, we, we might hope to bring in a few more people who are on the edges of, you know, who, who are nearly listening to us, mm -hmm. but there's many more who are not hearing us at all. And, 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 and this is why we, there's no point in me shouting at them, but I don't mind shouting at the government to do something about that. And it's got to start at school. It's got to be about education. We've got to raise a generation that understands what healthy food is, that understands the importance of vegetables. And I think almost certainly that is skilled enough to cook them. And I just, the idea that it would be somehow old fashioned or, or retrograde to teach our children how to cook, seems to be so wrong headed because at a time when we young people see so many problems coming down the line at them, climate, will they have a job? Will they have any money? I mean, if they can cook, if you could just teach them how to cook so they can get some inexpensive ingredients, understand what they are, how to spin them into a tasty meal, how to feed their families when they become parents, that would change everything. That would change so, so much. Now, I can say that to you to, and we can talk about that tonight. That ain't going to reach the people who need that. But if we, if we make that an absolute fixture in the way that we educate that young people from scratch, then we can change that. And, and then at the same time, 
having given them the 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 the, the help from the ground up we have to stop bombarding them with this insane advertising for those very available foods that that are inexpensive and and are making a lot of people very very ill yes we've got a lot of questions around the question of being of cheap food lucy here lucy carmody from imperial um say isn't the problem that mostly food is too cheap because the impacts on climate biodiversity and agricultural labor have not been priced in if we price food correctly use differential taxes on unhealthy food and brought from our own locale, wouldn't we be less wasteful and more choosy? I mean, I think that encompasses yep. an awful lot of questions. I mean, this well, thing no, is, I mean, why is the stuff so cheap, you know? Well, a lot of it's cheap because of subsidised alcohol, uh, alcohol, agriculture, at <laughs> that time of the evening. Uh, sub <laughs> subsidised agriculture, you know, the, the wheat and, and the rice and the maize. I mean, if you think about maize, is such an extraordinary story because... Um, you know, the, the, the biggest consumption of maize is, is not as sweet corn, it's not as corn flour, it's not as any kind of flour, it's as high fructose corn syrup, it's mm -hmm. as sugar. And in, in the United States, that's what goes into most soft drinks and in a lot of other countries in the world, some of the countries still use sugar. But I mean, that was an extraordinary pivotal moment when, um, when actually the, the corn barons thought they were gonna get biofuel you know, Bush uh, Senior was was going to give them biofuel, and then um, and that didn't. And then the oil lobby got onto that, and they were never going to let that happen. So they got sugar. They they basically got to turn corn into sugar, and and they and it's been it, you know it's been spun out a squillion different ways. This this you know high fructose corn syrup, and it's it's there's nothing good in it. But, you know the bit of sweet corn that the kernel and the and, 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 and the, the skin that, that actually have got some quite good stuff in them are no longer there by the time it's in a Coca-Cola, nowhere to be seen. And they probably haven't even gone into human food. You know, that's the craziness of it. Um, yes, well, there's a say that- On the subject of food pricing. I mean, yeah. there, there are a lot of extremely good healthy foods that are um, not hugely expensive. It would be nice if they were cheaper, but lots of fresh vegetables and fruit are not stupidly expensive, um, but to transform them into a really delicious, uh, tasty meal, um, you need to know a little bit. Not you don't need to, you know, be a chef, but you need to have some basic cooking skills. Um, question here: um, Can you foresee a day when industrialized meat is no longer produced? From Mossy Kennedy. I can, and I think it will, if it does happen, it will be happening in different parts of the world at, in different times and different cultures and industrial nations will, uh, uh, will deal with it on a different time scale and some will be harder to, uh, slower to move than others. But I, I, I can imagine it, yeah. I mean, there's a rather amazing uh, imagining of it um, by uh, the, the wonderful, uh, comedian whose name I can't remember but there's but the film is called Carnage did anyone see that oh yes uh Simon Amstel uh uh where where he imagines a world where we are we are still processing the fact that everyone's vegan um but we're still processing the fact uh the historical fact that we used to kill animals for food and it's causing a lot of people uh still are very upset by it um and it, you know it's it's a comedy but it's interestingly also quite near the knuckle yeah it's got that brilliant scene isn't it in 2050 where you have a cow uh, an opera about this cow talking about what happened to cows in the past do you remember yeah. that bit it was very yeah. moving yes but there's a bunch of questions too coming in around the whole issue of um better farming systems that our farming systems worldwide are well you've talked about maize but you know how much they're geared just towards volume rather than quality and how we can start to look at more regenerative agriculture yeah i mean well again i mean a lot of that a lot of that is tied up with the meat problem because um i think it's i think it's a third of the world's cereal crops and more than 50% of cereal crops in the US are fed to livestock. That's an extraordinary amount of land use. Um, and, uh, and, 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 it, and it's also highly chemical dependent. Um, uh, 
it's you know it's not diverse farming it's it's it's, it's monocultures of a few crops that animals are happy to eat uh, and so yeah we've we, yes of course we have to rearrange it we have to look after the soil um, we have to learn from not necessarily fully embraced but learn from organic systems um, that the, the there is a, a tricky bit which is of course a lot of organic systems are very dependent on the muck and manure from animals but look the these uh, these are widely regarded as solvable problems but the 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 vested interests and the and the impetus and the energy of industry is still flying so hard and fast in the wrong direction that it takes and it's going to take an extraordinary amount of will or some nat some really compelling natural disasters mm -hmm. of which of which you could argue that covid is one um uh and and possibly other sort of droughts and 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 crop failures uh, could be others that would would, would cause a, a lot of devastation but let i mean just to bring it back to covid i mean covid is is it does seem that covid is a, is a is a disease uh that's cre been created by our food system and and mm -hmm. other pandemics or near pandemics seem to occur when uh, high-tech food production uh, so it, it has a sort of it, it kind of encroaches or pushes in to areas that that uh, have you know where there's bushmeat or where there's other things going on that are that where, where things things come up against each other that don't normally collide uh, and and that's when these these grim outcomes start to occur yeah absolutely so in the in the few minutes we've got left we've got loads of questions let's talk about some actual recipes and food a lot of people <laughs> want to know what your favorite fermentation is and like what your favorite kombucha is and and what are the sort of easy ones to make well i am what, i'm drinking kombucha at the moment this are is you not, what is but you didn't make it oh yes you did sorry okay well this is this is me just my, my little moment of of, of promotion this is our river cottage organic kombucha which we which i've been dabbling with kombucha for a few years now and i wanted to get an organic kombucha on the market that wasn't flavored with kind of ginger and mango and passion fruit and turmeric uh, but based on english hedgerow flavors and garden things so we've we've got that um but i love making my own kombucha too in fact i was just decanting my latest brew um before joining you all this evening. But I, I, I like fermenting uh, probably actually if I was, it, it's the krauts and the kimchis that I'm really hooked into now. Um, they've just got, once you get into that tang, um, that kind of slight fizz and acidity and a uh, little salty edge. Because you have to be careful that saltiness, you know, you, you, if you've got kimchi on your plate, you don't want to be slathering everything else in salt too. Um, but I, I love the tang of those fermented things and, and all of them. And I actually prefer kefir to yogurt now. I prefer that. I, I like the fact that it's pourable and, and I can put it onto my granola or, or whatever. But I also like that little, that slight, that tang and that, that acidic note, and that very slight uh, fizz, um, which, which just, again, tells me that it's going to do me some good. It's sending it down to, those, to that happy band of microbes that we talked about earlier. Uh, that so, are going to welcome it with, with open arms. <laughs> so what exactly is a kombucha? It's just a busy drink or what? It's fermented tea. Right. So um, the polyphenols and tannins in the tea, and the you do add a little bit of sugar, um, but unlike if this is an extraordinary thing, um, which I did have to double, double check because it sounded almost too good to be true. But when, when sugar turns to alcohol, it retains all the calories. But when sugar turns to when sugar and the other teas, when it turns what's mainly a form of acetic acid and one or two other acetic acids do, that's a gently exothermic reaction, and actually you lose some of the energy. So some of the calories comes out. So if you start your kombucha at, at about eight or ten percent sugar, you might finish it on three or four percent sugar. So um, why is kombucha not alcoholic? It is, but very very slightly. Uh, it basically, it's got this wibbly wobbly thing in it called a SCOBY, which stands for um, symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. A SCOBY is like a jelly jellyfish-like plug that sits at the top of your kilner jar, a bit like a vinegar mother, and that and it does the fermenting. And 
the microbes or the, the, the bacterias and the yeast favor the production of acetic acid over alcohol and a couple of other acids too. So you get a low alcohol, slightly acidic, sparkling drink where, where the little sugar that you have added is mostly consumed in the reaction and it's live when you drink it. And for me, it's, it's, for me, it's cracked the problem of midweek not drinking because I, not only do I still eat meat, I still drink alcohol. And um, I think with the dinner I, that's planned this evening, I suspect I will have, find it hard to resist a glass of red wine. Um, <laughs> only you can decide whether I deserve it. Um, but yeah. I'm on the kombucha at the moment. Uh, <laughs> and that would be my, normally I'd, it would only be the kombucha on a Thursday night. Okay, so other questions have come in around, what's the best food to eat for your mental health? Look, I think um, the thing to, the, I, I, I don't, I'm not a massive believer in superfoods because the idea that you seek out foods that are somehow more important, I, I would come back to di diversity and variety, lots and lots of different things. I mean, the best thing I think you can do from a food point of view for your mental health is look after your gut. And the next best thing you can do I, is get outside. Now, that's harder than it has been, but uh, thank God this time around, that's at least been recognized. I mean, I think we've, I think in the lockdown during the first, first lockdown during that amazing spring, there was a, a massive error made in, the, in where the emphasis was put. If we put all the emphasis on avoiding contact and keeping distance, and we were very, very, very clear about that, then frankly, we could have all spent a lot more time outside, just not very close to each other. And the idea that people were stuck at home for weeks and months on end were only going out for these tiny little windows was fundamentally wrong. I've changed the subject a little bit, but I do feel very strongly about that. So I feel the other thing that we need to build back better is our relationship with the outdoors. And I think therein lies uh, an enormous possibility of transformation of, of mental health for great swathes of the population who, who haven't really even begun to discover uh, the, the joys and pleasures of, of not just being outside, but being outside and with nature. Okay, um, we are really nearly out of time. So I've also got some other questions and I quite like to know this too. Actually, I'd really like to know what's your, because I've cooked your Asian hot pot from this book, which was incredibly good. Um, although I forgot to put the coriander on first time, but then I remembered it when I heated up the next day, it was even better. What's your favorite recipe? What, Several like, people want to know. In the book or of all time or? Uh... Well, you could give us both. Um, well, that, actually, that Asian hot pot is is a real winner because I think what I like about it is it it shows you that you can have those incredible umami flavors and lots mm. of layers of different flavor uh, without using meat. Um, but the other thing, I mean, one thing that's going down really well, actually, in, in, in the book is the um, is my version, the cake I mentioned earlier, the, 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 it's my seedy almond cake. It's basically a Victoria sponge with less sugar, ground almonds, a bunch of other seeds and wholemeal flour. And, and it's absolutely delicious. In the greater scheme of things, I love to eat fish. I mean, I just, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I will bang on and on about looking after, I don't want, I mean, we've maybe the writing's on the wall for meat. I hope the writing's not on the wall for fish because it's such an extraordinary food and I, I, I enjoy eating it. I enjoy feeding it to my family and I, I, don't, I don't want it to come off the menu. So probably a barbecued mackerel, you know, on, on the beach uh, uh, down at uh, Charmouth or, 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 or back home in the garden. Um, with a few veg pulled out of the garden and might put the veg on the barbecue as well. That's the other thing, just to, this is the, this is the really important thing about making plants delicious. We just have to do some of the same things to them that we happily do to meat and fish. We need to burn them and barbecue them and caramelize them and, and spice them and take them a bit more seriously and just, you know, get busy with them rather than make them the sad apology on the side where we get this, where we get, when we fetishize the meat, you know, fetishize your veg a bit. I was very interested also to read that thing. You said that when you change the way you cook something, you change the benefits you get. And you, you make that point about the difference between an apple, a, a raw apple and a cooked apple, that when you've cooked it, it releases the pectin that is also a really useful thing for your gut. That's exactly right. Apples, carrots, tomatoes, lots of examples of, of, of foods that um, uh, 
that behave differently and, and you get different uptakes of different nutrient, nutrients, different anti antioxidants if you eat them raw than you do if you're cooked. And then again, you combine them with each other and different things start mm. happening as well. So this is the joy of diversity. And of course, this, this variety is also what makes food delicious and what makes the, all our culinary endeavors exciting and worthwhile. On that brilliant note, I'm going to leave you with this image. And this is a book published by Bloomsbury. It is really fantastic, everybody. And um, I've got another possibly nearly 70 questions that we haven't managed to ask. I'm sorry about that, but actually I, I, I flicked through them and I think pretty much all of them will get addressed in one way or another in this yes, book. Yes, that's the way to do it. <laughs> I know, no, he pays, it's fine. Um, anyway, Hugh, thank you very, very much. And, you know, thank you also on behalf of all of us who care about food for, you know, all the really great work you've done, the great films you've made, the great campaigns you do, the keeping the pressure on the government, because it's the only way to go. And I know we're all privileged here, and I'm sure that most of our the people who are listening to us tonight, you know, we do have to keep working to change this system because actually we yeah. all depend, the planet depends on it and we depend on it. So on that note, happy cooking for whatever you're having tonight. Uh, Asian hot pot, strongly to be recommended. Um, thank you, Hugh. I hope you have a fantastic dinner. Can I, just, um, can I just say thank you very much to everyone who's tuned in. I, it, I wish I could see you. I wish it was a live event. I, I, know. I, I hope you've had a good time. I hope you're going to maybe do a few little things differently. And above all, I hope we've recruited you all as food activists to help bring about the changes that we need. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody who's joined in. I see two questions have just come in and I'm really sorry we can't get them, but we'll see you again soon. Take care. Thanks everyone.